This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our December 21st, 2023 edition, and that means we're only four days away from Christmas. So happy holidays, everybody. I hope everybody's having a wonderful holiday season. Uh, it's been a, a an interesting year, a busy year, and I think for many people, an unexpected year in, in many respects. And we head into 2024 with new challenges, an election year, which in today's hyper-politicalized environment, you're probably going to get some volatility in markets and in politics. And the polls, right? you see new polls coming out all the time and things shift and, and uh, it's going to be an interesting time, let's just say that. But right now, we're focused on today. We're focused on a little bit of reflection for 2023 and preparing you not just for 2024, but for many years down the line. Because it's about understanding sound investment principles, sound money management principles, so that you can build a successful financial future for yourself. And our job is to bring you topics and data and and all the things that you may tune in for. But most of all, it's about ans answering your questions. And I hope you know that when you call and ask your question, you probably have dozens, if not hundreds of other Invest Talk listeners that are thinking and asking the same thing. So you're not only doing yourself a favor, you're doing your fellow Invest Talk listeners a favor as well. So that's why we love your calls, why they are always job number one for us. And job number two is giving you unbiased perspective, develop the over 20 plus years of investment experience. So that's what today is going to be all about. It's going to be about you and you alone. Now we're going to run down the market performance as well as some show topics. But as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hello, I was calling to see if I could get your thoughts on ticker symbol SWK. This is Stanley Black and Decker calling uh, from Keller, Texas. Thank you. All right, looking at Stanley Black and Decker. This is a name that has fallen dramatically from its 2021 highs, and that was right around $220 per share and change. Now we're down to $96.92. The 52-week low was down around 71. So it has recovered a bit that's that's nice but still obviously substantially down from those highs and that's because they earned ten dollars and 59 cents in 2021 four dollars and 88 cents last year which was half of pre-pandemic levels and now a dollar 31 expected this year so 
what you really be betting on here is that there will be a reversion to that long-term profitability picture. And unfortunately, that's a bit murky. And if you look at its cash flow, $726 million on a $14 billion market cap, that's about a 5% free cash flow yield. That's not bad. You have debt about $7.6 billion. It's a little higher than I would like, to be frank. Now, it's not anything that is the end of the world, but certainly a, a level I would like to to bring down. Now, operating margins are at about 2%. And the five-year median is 12%. So that's what's happening here, is their margins are just getting squeezed dramatically, dramatically. So that's the bet here, that there will be a reversion to that long-term trend. And until the technicals really line up, I won't buy it quite yet. Now, earnings are expected to go back to $4.48 per share last year, but I, but it is testing some major, major resistance, but it would need to get above about the 117 level before I would say the technicals are back on its feet. Right now, this is just a, a choppy uptrend in the midst of an uptrend in the overall market. And is that because of just liquidity being more abundant over the past year? Or is it because truly the business is better? If you look at the performance compared to the market, it's doing about what the market has done for the past year. So it's not performing. So it's really just rising, I think, because of the overall market. So certainly a name that's interesting to me, I like that they made money last quarter for the first time in a while. But is if four dollars and change is their new trend earnings, it's probably expensive on those levels at ninety six dollars per share. If it trends back to eight, it's obviously cheap. But I'd be watching the technicals to get some confirmation on one way or the other, and it needs to get above that one seventeen one eighteen level for me to get excited about it. Now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next forty minutes. My main focus point is set up by this story: three ways you can take advantage of extended RMD ages. And the extra time that longer RMD or, or later RMD uh, ages uh, give you allows you to do a few things, Roth conversions, qualified charitable distributions, and reducing taxable accounts sooner at a lower tax rate. So we're going to talk about retirement saving strategies and things like tax advantage accounts and retirement account withdrawals. So what we're going to cover on today's main focus point. Well, we have other topics on the docket as well. Which countries had a good year? We know equities more broadly, both domestically and abroad, did fairly well. But as you know, the performance in the equity markets can diverge from the performance in the economy and economies around the world. So we're going to look at a, an economist ranking, and I think it'll be very enlightening, enlightening to see which parts of the world, which particular countries did well. Also, Bitcoin is up this year pretty dramatically. Why might that be? We're going to look back at history and talk a little bit more about that. In addition, 
we're also going to cover a very interesting story about a fund called Spruce House that used to be a value investor. And then they switched their strategy. And as you imagine, didn't go very well. So we're going to look at that story as well, if we have time. We also are going to get to some voice bank questions. One is on option trading and taxes and Alibaba Group. Baba. And we're going to hit on an iTunes view question on top of that. So let's talk about the market performance for today. Yesterday, we had that pretty big reversal close near the lows. It was a, a bona fide reversal day in an overbought condition. That's what yesterday was. And I said, are we going to get a follow through? Because that's usually what you need. You can have those one-off days and they can be triggered by a lot of different things, but it's about stacking multiple days together and that starts building a downtrend. And today, you didn't get that. You did not get a follow through. The S&P was up nicely. Large caps are up a little over 1%. Small caps up 1.62%. Mid caps up about one and a quarter percent. So you didn't erase all of yesterday's losses, but you erased most of them. And now it's about pattern. Do you do we somehow make a a new high from yesterday? That would say yesterday's move was just completely negated. And it was a one-off nothing burger. Or do we get kind of chopping sideways action till year end and then more of a pullback in the new year? I think that's certainly possible. And I think if I'm going to call for a time frame for a more protracted pullback, and that's likely what it is. It's probably more of a you know three to five percent pullback if we get one. That's probably later in January. Now, we had Nike's earnings out after the bell. That was disappointing. So that was down. And let's see. What did we have? Any big movers today? Not a whole lot of notes. Yeah, not a whole lot of note. But it's holiday season. And there's still low volume unless there's a major sell-off. And that usually means higher prices. Now, have you heard about our holiday giveaway contest? It's giving away free autographed copies of Steve's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. Is a no-nonsense guide to the world of buying and selling stocks. So to enter, all you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram and like our holiday giveaway post and tag three friends. Simple as that. We choose one winner each day until the end of the month. So that means there'll be 31 winners. Now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on... 
J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. Even to growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, how's it going, Stephen Justin? I have a quick question in relation to um, options trading. You know, I appreciate all the insight and knowledge. I've kind of taken that and been able to implement it into a trading strategy that I've done quite well with. So my question is kind of related to um, tax implication associated with it. I know these are all short-term gains. I just wanted to know if there was any avenue to offset this or when you're dealing with short options, you're just kind of stuck with uh, paying this high tax rate. So I'm looking forward to hearing the answer on your show, and I uh, thank you again. Well, there isn't really a way. Option trades are short-term capital gains, and that's just what you have to deal with. That's why I say trading options in a tax-deferred account can often be a good idea. Covered calls. We run covered call strategy, and a lot of times we're doing that in IRAs, and that is pretty beneficial because there's no tax consequences of that. Uh, so the only way to offset those gains is our losses. And I go back to what my grandfather and Steve Bowie said, there are good problems and there are bad problems. And guess what? Capital gains, that's a good problem. That means you made money. And obviously you have to look for opportunities to limit that, but you also don't want to make that your sole choice of why you make a trade. So many people, I've seen this time and time again, almost the number one mistake many people make, the average person makes, is that they make a decision to buy or hold or sell a position, it's usually hold or sell a position, because of taxes. They sell a position that's down just because they want to take the loss and it rebounds the next year and they would have been better off holding it. This happens a lot in real estate as well. I have a piece of real estate. I want to defer capital gains. I don't want to pay the capital gains. I do 1031 exchange, et cetera. And usually that's not a smart way to go because it's the only part of the decision-making process. It should be one variable, but not the only variable. So hope that helps. All right, now we're moving into a break. I'm ready for your calls at 888-99-CHART. Each day, 
InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, last year, Congress passed the SECURE Act 2.0 with the intention of giving people more retirement options. And the major change to that, that that, that made was to RMDs, required minimum distributions. And that was applying to IRAs and 401ks. And it increased the RMD age this year to 73 from 72 last year. Sorry, to 73 for individuals who turned 72 after December 31st last year. Or who will turn 72 before January 1st, 2033. But after 2033, I don't know if you know this, the RMD age is going to go up to 75. And this is something that definitely changes the calculus for many people and gives people two, three more years to take advantage of certain opportunities. Now, the first would be qualified charitable distributions. And basically, you can exercise them as early as 70 and a half. And these are tax-free donations. Allows you to take money out of your IRA and distribute it to a qualified charity. So it counts towards your RMD if certain conditions are met. And so it's not counted as taxable income in the way your normal RMDs would be. So if you want to give the charity, this is one way to do that. And it can also be deducted from your gross income on your tax return without having to itemize your deduction. So up and uh, above the your traditional standard deduction. So we have clients to take advantage of this. I think it's a great tool if you have charities you really want to give to. So something to think about. Now, the number one way most people are benefited from RMDs, RMD years being pushed back is what we call Roth conversions. And this is something that everybody should be talking to with their CPA tax advisor. And that is between the time you retire and your RMD date is basically converting 401k money, IRA money, to Roth accounts. And this will basically lock in that lower rate. So for a lot of people, it's once if you have a seven figures plus and you have to take RMDs, that can push you each year into a much higher tax bracket. And the time between retirement and 73, especially 70, when most people with substantial amount of money, you should take Social Security, where income is next to nothing. Your income tax rate is very low. You can lock in those very low rates doing tax, doing Roth conversions. So you need to know how much it's going to to cost you tax-wise. But basically what you have to think about is that those IRA and 401k, talking about traditional, not Roth, those, that tax-deferred nature is great. But that's also a deferred tax liability. That's what you would call it in the accounting world. 
But most people don't think of it like that. But it's true. You are going to have to take the money out at some point, And that is a tax bill you are going to have to pay. But you can, you are in control before you hit your RMDs to maybe adjust that tax deferred tax liability, bring that forward and ultimately pay in total less taxes. Now, Roth IRAs are not subject to RMDs, so that's helpful and won't count towards that. And so what it allows you to do is get those big tax deferred or tax liabilities, deferred tax liabilities, excuse me, uh, dwindled down to levels that where when you do take RMDs, you aren't pushed into higher tax rates. And that's something everybody should be thinking about. And then the last one is accelerating distributions. Now, I think of this kind of like the same thing for most people. It would be just doing a Roth conversion if you don't need the money today. Let's say you do need the money. Maybe you should. I know a lot of people don't want to trigger that tax bill. But if you're in a low tax bracket, you should probably take that money out and live off. of. You know, that's what I always say. If you have seven figures and you could take Social Security, you might retire at, say, 64. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm, I'm going to take Social Security at 65 or 66, 67. And what I usually tell clients is you have the wherewithal. You have the ability to pull a little bit from your investment accounts and live off that money. And IRA is not necessarily a bad place to go about that until you hit full retirement age or the age of 70, then you take social security and then it's maximized. And then any inflation adjustment is also on a higher base as well. And so that's typically a good financial planning tip as well, going into an in to retirement. Now, the next and best talk, we'll look into this story. An annuities overview. Are they worth your attention? There are all different types of annuities, but the majority are not necessarily good for your financial health. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. 
The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Will. He is in San Diego looking at AES, utility company. Company, You own it or looking to buy it? No, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't own it. Okay. Considering it, I was watching CNBC, and I know you guys aren't a big fan of CNBC, but they had a guy named Leon Cooperman on there, mm. and this was one of the stocks he was recommending. I guess he's a seasoned investor, so, but I wanted to get your take on it. Well, he is a seasoned investor, but uh, like most seasoned investors, not always right. Now, AES is a global power company. And that's 32 gigawatts of energy capacity. And 46% are renewable, 32% gas, 20% coal, 2% oil. And so it's, a, it's an electric utility, 2.6 million customers. And the issue here is simply debt, $27 billion in long-term debt. And when they're so tied to renewable energy, you would imagine so. You know, installing that renewable energy at a time when rates were low, and now, you know, they have to refinance those those rates. Right. And you know, that's the issue here. And it's rallied as of late, all because rates have fallen. But it still remains, if you zoom out from a daily chart to a weekly chart, it's still in a downtrend. And that long-term debt hasn't gone anywhere still needs to be financed. And in fact, it's going higher each and every quarter. So I see no reason to own this. If I'm going to buy a utility company, utility companies are pretty boring. I, and I want my right. utility companies to be boring. This is not one of those. I want something that has relatively low debt, isn't too tied up in renewables. Not say you can't have any, but you know, renewables have use cases, and it depends on geography and, and a, lot, a lot of factors. But when you're so tied to them, usually you're probably overinvested. And I would pass on this because I want my utility with low debt, not a bunch of debt. Great. Okay. Well, that's very good information. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for the call, Will. Yeah, utilities, they're, they're about, they're, think of them as bond proxies, but they are. Utilities are typically regulated, and that can be a good thing because profits are regulated in downturns, down bad times. They still make money. They still pay out their dividend. In a lot of ways, they are bonds. More volatile than bonds, but generally a lot like bonds. But when you add on a utility with a ton of leverage and renewables, which makes the cash flow situation more unpredictable, then you get a basically a leveraged bond fund in some ways. So I don't want that. I would want a utility that is steady and not saddled with a ton of debt. Now let's talk about not just the United States, but let's talk about the entire world. Global GDP this year is likely to grow at about 3%. You're going to say 3% solid, kind of a middle of the road year when it comes to growth. The jobs market globally generally held up. Inflation also headed down. 
And equities more broadly up roughly 20%. But which countries did the best? And this is a pretty interesting ranking. It's from The Economist. They look at five indicators. Inflation, inflation breadth, GDP, jobs, and stock market performance. And they're looking at 35 of the biggest countries. Now this year, who did the best? Greece. And that's for the second year running. Who else did well? South Korea. And the rest were in the Americas, Canada, Chile, and the United States. Who did the worst? Kind of Northern Europe, Northern and Western Europe, Britain, Germany, Sweden, and the worst country, Finland. Now, the first measure is core inflation. So they don't look at just inflation, look at core inflation. And Japan, South Korea, they kept inflation relatively low. Areas that didn't, Hungary, core inflation there running at 11%. And Finland, which came in last on this list, highly dependent on Russian energy prices. So they're struggling in that measure as well. The inflation breadth is looking at what percentage of consumer goods or the price basket were rising more than 2%. So, you know, you can always have outliers, but that can bring up the average. But when you look at breadth, it's saying, okay, if all the goods that consumers are buying, how many of them are truly rising in price by a, a significant amount, 2% or more? Now, South Korea did pretty well, falling from 73% of the basket to 60. Central uh, America and Canada, also, we, we dropped sharply in that number as well. So we fell to, let's see, what was inflation breadth? Negative 18.8%. So the percentage of goods in our domestic inflation basket that are rising more than 2% fell 18.8%. Okay. What else? Australia, they did one of the worst. 90% of their inflation basket is rising over 2%. France and Germany also did pretty badly because they are dependent on Russian gas. Spain also on top of that. Now, two other measures, employment and GDP. Nobody did amazing on GDP or labor, mainly because labor markets are generally tight. So how many more jobs can you create when the job markets are relatively tight? And growth wasn't that great because productivity was fairly weak. Okay. Now, which countries did the best when it comes to the stock market? Well, you might think we had a good year. We had a pretty good year. We were actually middle of the road. But Greece did the best, up 40% in real terms, inflation adjusted. Japan also did very, very well, up nearly 20% on an inflation adjusted basis. So, Pretty interesting ranking here, and it just goes to show you that Greece, which remember 10 years ago was down in the dumps, and they made some good market-friendly reforms, and now their economy is booming. I was actually in Greece earlier this year, and things were, were definitely looking up for that country, so pretty interesting. 
Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Texas on 888 chart Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. I am calling with a question on bonds with the interest rates hopefully coming down next year. Would this be a good time to invest in short-term bonds? Um, I was looking into one to three years bond terms, so I'm not exactly clear on the bonds and how they work, but I'm just thinking to put some money into bonds, and so I wanted to get your opinion. So I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you. Well, if you think interest rates are going to come down, you would actually want longer-term bonds. You would want duration. Now, rates have already come down. So here's the issue that most people have is that they say they see what happens in the headlines and they think, oh, I'm going to chase the headline. But remember, the market front runs that. Just look at what the 10-year yield has done in the past two months. It was sniffing out the Fed pause and rates peaked at 5%. And by the time the Fed announced that they were pausing, Rates are already down to four point, roughly 2%. And now since then, we're down right about 3.9% in the 10-year. So the 10-year has fallen 110 basis points in two months. And that means anything with longer duration is going to rally. And I'll give you an example here. So IEF, IEF is the 10-year... Actually, let me give you a starker example. TLT, that's the 30-year bond ETF. That bottom at 82, now it's at 99. Okay, so that's rallying about 15% in just two months. That's a pretty big move for bonds. Sorry. Yeah, nearly 20%, 15, 20%, somewhere in there. I don't have my calculator out. Whereas the short-term bonds, I'll look at just the SHY, you talk about one to three years. That rallied from 80 up to 82 now. Two bucks, two and a half percent. That's how much the short-term bonds have rallied. So if you're trying to play rates coming down, you don't want short-term. You want duration. You want something that's longer term. Now that's for a trade, okay? For a trade. And that's something I think a lot of people get confused on, especially when they're, I get questioned on this. Well, you, you say bonds are bad because of, of, of inflation and rates are growing up, but then you're saying right now bonds are good. Yes, it depends on your time frame. For a trade, as you go through an easing cycle, longer duration bonds are going to be a better trade. But if you are believing that, like us, that inflation is more entrenched, that we're more in a longer-term uptrend in, in, in bond yields, that means that you don't want duration. You do want those shorter-term bonds generally over the next decade or two. So it depends on your time horizon. And so playing an easing cycle is about actually adding duration, not going short-term. All right, let's go talk to Alan. He is in Hayward looking at CLVT, which is Clarivate? Clarivate. Clarivate. Is that how you say it? Uh, yes, Clarivate. Okay. 
And Can I, you I just wanted to tell know, me more uh, about this name? What are your thoughts? Why are you thinking about maybe buying it? I'm assuming. Um. Well, I, uh, I, um, I, I saw that um, Seth Carmen invested in it, and uh, his average is supposed to be around like eight dollars and fifteen cents. I got in around like seven fifty, and I'm just w- wondering what you think about it for a long term hold. Okay, interesting. So, Clarivates, it's an information analytics and workflow workflow solutions company. It has three segments: academia and government, life sciences and healthcare, and intellectual property. Let me see. I've never heard of this name. Small company, smallish company, six billion dollar market cap, and it drives research excellence across institutions, empower researchers to tackle today's global challenges, and help academic institutions and libraries improve operational efficiency and effectiveness. Interesting. Okay. So this is what we call a story, right? I'm not familiar with their products. I would think if I'm going to put my capital in something like this, I would really need to know why this company has value. What is it about them that I can't just from reading the description, what exactly are they doing? And is it different? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of confused myself. <laughs> yeah, so I would need to know. Just because some Seth Klarman, you know, great investor, great investor. I'm not going to, you know, he has a great track record. So this is, that would be a reason for me to look into it. But just like anything, you should never buy or sell anything simply because of one factor. Because one person bought it or one person sold it or you heard, saw one article or whatever, right? It, it's building a, a case for it and against it and see how it stacks up. So an interesting name, interesting that Seth Klarman bought it, but the fundamentals, obviously, they're just not really quite there. Now, the good thing is the free cash flow is rising, 465 million. So it's positive free cash flow. I like that. And it's generally trending higher. They do have a decent amount of debt, 4.8 billion on a $6 billion market cap. It's a little high for my liking. I would like that to come down. Now, the good thing is over the past two years, it's been going sideways. So it's not like debt just just continues to pile up. They've stopped adding debt and their cash flow is positive. So they're able to either pay down that debt or say buy back shares. And they bought about a, back a few shares, but, but not really. They're just taking that money, uh, I'm assuming, just reinvesting in the business. Enterprise value to EBIT around 10. That's not crazy expensive. I think that's fine. Price sales ratio around 2.4. The technicals are certainly improving. And the downtrend that this has made since 2021 looks like it could be ending. But the question is, is this just a flash in the pan because the market's rallying low profit companies, which this one I would consider a low profit company with a return equity only 4.8%. That's, that's not amazing. Uh, they're getting their rally, but this needs to get to me above the, the hundred week moving average. And right now that's right around $10 and 66 cents. And that's, and the current stock is at nine twenty three. So you're getting there, you're improving, but you're not all the way there. I would use this time to do a little more research on their product and feel comfortable that the product does have differentiating factors. And if the technicals start to break above that 1060, 1070 level, then you could say, okay, this is getting traction. And then I would jump it. 
But until then, until I have more familiarity with the product that it's offering and its use cases in the marketplace and see the, see the technicals improve just a bit more, I would keep it on the sidelines. But very interesting name. I would keep on your watch list to do more research on. Now we're moving into a break, our final break. And we have one more live show before Christmas. That'll be tomorrow. But for now, I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is constantly changing and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Kimberly. She is in Walnut Creek and looking at GE. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Kimberly, can you hear me? Hello, hello. I think she might be gone. I'll talk quickly about GE. I don't think I need to tell everybody what GE does. Well, maybe I do now because they have slimmed down over the years. There was a lot of bloat in the Jack Welch era and accounting issues. And then you had GE Capital kind of fall out during the financial crisis. And so they've slimmed down over the years and they have reduced their debt burden pretty dramatically. And that's that's impressive. They've gone from total long-term debt at a high. Let me zoom all the way back. Jeez, I have to go back to 2008. They had $556 billion in debt. Think about that. And even as recently as 2014, they had $374 billion in debt. But it's all been about selling off businesses, simplifying their their balance sheet and their, their businesses. And now they only have about $20 billion in debt. That's pretty impressive. So, and that's long-term debt. Net debt is pretty negligible. So they've turned into a more lean industrial company. And it is a name, I will say, it's on our watches. We don't own it, but uh, it, I, I like what they've done. Uh, it's a bit overbought here, but certainly a name that uh, worth, is worth looking into and potentially buying, obviously, a great name uh, and still has some pretty good businesses underneath the hood. Now, lastly, let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin and crypto in general. And right now, crypto is a pest to regulators and a lot of, con- a lot of governments. And criminals use cryptocurrencies to launder money. Terrorists use them to make payments. Hackers demand ransom in crypto, mainly Bitcoin. And crypto coins, in many instances, are still being made to make money off them, off their launch. So there's still a lot lot to be done to make the industry more credible. But what's interesting to me, most of all this, is that the industry still appears to be indestructible to a degree, to a degree. Now, I do think that if the powers that be still want to shut it down, they can't. You've seen that in China. And, but there are 
many countries whose who have governments that are are trying to crack down uh, or they have sorry that not trying to crack down but have uh, poor stores of value their currencies are poor stores of value so in many instances individuals are storing savings and payments using bitcoins and stablecoins now during boom times the crypto industry raised a lot of money they hired a lot of developers and many of them are working on projects that may never have true use cases but even the small chance that they do it's worth something right that small percentage chance that they'll actually create something that has real value now from an investment perspective the correlation appears to be a lot stronger with the tech stocks and it makes sense because people that are invested in tech mainly individuals their portfolios are overloaded with tech stocks and crypto and so when one does well they're more apt to hold on to the other when uh, one doesn't do well like last year where tech stocks took it on the chin crypto was sold off so i think you're still going to get that in many instances and it'll be very interesting to see what the sec rules on the bitcoin etf i still think that the industry is overblowing the fact that it'll get passed i don't think it necessarily will it could but i still put the odds uh, around 50 50. but what's interesting here is that it is not going away but i do think there are major risks to governments limiting its true use case and thus ultimately its value so wanted to cover that before we close up for today. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.